Hi folks, Phil here, host of Nudge. I've always struggled to find good podcasts to listen to, especially podcasts relating to marketing. I've mainly gone off recommendations and the Apple charts, but finding something I like is often a shot in the dark. If you've got a similar problem, then go and check out some of the HubSpot creator podcasts. Nudge and half a dozen other shows have been handpicked by HubSpot to join their network. If you like Nudge, I'm sure you'll love some of the other shows in that network. So go Go and check out the first wave of shows and learn more about HubSpot creators at hubspot.com forward slash creators. What comes to mind when you think of influence? Most of us, like me, think of things like Instagram followers, Twitter likes. We think of media moguls and celebrity personalities. Words like reach, impact, impressions and engagement, they all come to mind. When we think of influence, we think of influencers. But we rarely think about ourselves. We don't tend to think about the influence we naturally have, which is why you probably have more influence than you think. Hello folks, I'm Phil Agnew and you are listening to Nudge, the marketing science podcast. Now most of you will know that influencer marketing is big business, with firms paying influencers billions collectively to promote brands. All of that is well documented and well known. But our innate influence, the influence that everyday people have, like you and me, is rarely discussed. Now today I'm chatting with social psychologist Vanessa Bond about the influence all of us have, the science behind FOMO, and the unexpected ways that we change the views of others. Here's Vanessa introducing herself. So I am Vanessa Bonds, and I'm a professor here at Cornell University. I'm a professor of organizational behavior and psychology, and I'm an experimental social psychologist who studies social influence, but I study social influence in a way that's kind of different from the way most people do. Most people look at how to get people to do things or how to influence people I'm really interested in people's intuitions about how we can influence people and whether they're accurate. Do we know the best way to influence other people? And do we know the impact that we have over other people every day? Now on Nudge, I've spent a lot of time talking about the books that share tips on how to gain influence. Books like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dal Carnegie, Influence by Robert Cialdini, Messengers by Jay Marks and Steve Martin. But Vanessa's book, you have more influence than you think, well, this book focuses on the opposite. It's not a book about gaining influence. It's a book about using the influence you naturally have. In a lot of ways, the reason I focused on the influence we already have is because there are just so many books out there on how to gain influence. And as you know, they're not just any books. They're the wildly popular books. So People seem to be really drawn to tips and tricks for becoming more influential, which suggests to me that a lot of people really feel like they're lacking in influence. And the reason I wanted to write a book that shows that we actually have a lot of influence already is that in my research, I've seen how much influence we have over other people all the time. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that this tendency to seek out ways to gain influence really comes from a bias where we miss the influence we have already. And so what I do in the book is I talk about these kinds of 
biases that we have that cause us to miss the influence we have. We tend to not realize how much other people pay attention to us. We tend to not realize how much people are actually impacted by our words and are willing to do things that we ask them to do. And because we don't see a lot of this, we think we need to go out there and get all this knowledge about how to gain influence as opposed to kind of taking time to be more mindful of the influence that we have all the time. Now, I find this angle fascinating because it goes against a lot of conventional business wisdom. Most business textbooks will tell you that to influence others, you have to stand out. You have to be different from the crowd. We perhaps naively think that to get a job, you have to make a standout impression in the interview. Or if we're pitching for business, you need to do something that will stick in the memory of your client. Now, that's not necessarily wrong, but Vanessa says that it's not needed if you want to influence others. There tends to be this kind of persistent belief that really comes from marketing and advertising that you have to wave your hands around and shout and try all these ridiculous or wacky things to get people to notice you or pay attention to you and therefore to have impact, to influence other people. And while that might be true in the case of you know specific ads and marketing campaigns, it really doesn't apply as widely as people seem to think that it does. And one thing it really doesn't apply to is people, right? People are naturally evolutionarily wired to pay attention to other people. We pay attention to the people in our surroundings. We wonder what's going on in their minds. We watch what they're doing and we might therefore mimic what they're doing. And the important thing to keep in mind is that if that's the way people are wired, that means more people are paying attention to you than you might realize. And actually, a researcher, Erica Boothby, who's at Wharton, has tested this experimentally, and she's identified this phenomenon she calls the invisibility cloak illusion. And this is the tendency to sort of walk through life feeling like we're draped in an invisibility cloak. So you can imagine yourself sort of walking through the park with sunglasses on and feeling like no one's really noticing you or sitting on the subway or the bus with your headphones and feeling very uh, invisible. But in fact, when she's run studies and she's asked people, how many people do you think are paying attention to you in this situation? How many people are curious about you and wondering what's going on in your mind? It turns out that we underestimate the number of people who are actually noticing us and paying attention to us. And again, that means we're also underestimating the extent to which we might be impacting other people's behavior as they see what we're doing. And we're sort of creating social norms around us. The study Vanessa is referencing here was conducted in a university dining hall. The participants in the study were asked how much they felt they were observed, but also how much they observed others. And it turns out participants' ratings of how much they found themselves observing others was 67% higher than they thought other people were observing them. So to put that in simple terms, we massively underestimate how much other people notice us. We are always paying more attention to others than we expect people are paying attention to us. This is an eye-opening finding. Despite the fact that we're all busy observing everyone else, we tend to think we're more invisible than we really are. But that's not where our misperceptions end. Here's Vanessa explaining how a Barry Manilow t-shirt taught researchers about how we observe others. 
one of the interesting things here, right, is that we not only misperceive how much people are paying attention to us, but we also misperceive exactly what it is they're paying attention to. And this is important because often when I tell people about the invisibility cloak illusion and they realize, oh, lots of people are paying attention to me, they assume that what people are paying attention to is the things that you least want them to pay attention to. They assume that, oh, all these times I was super self-conscious and I thought everybody noticed like a blemish or a bad hair day or this time I misspoke, right? They think that's the kind of stuff that everybody's noticing. But in fact, that's not true. And one of my colleagues here at Cornell has shown this using, as you said, a Barry Manilow t-shirt. Back in the day, this is maybe 30 years ago now, he ran this study where he had people come into the lab and he had them put on a Barry Manilow concert t-shirt. And now looking back, I kind of think I would love to wear a Barry Manilow t-shirt. Like it sounds very hip and fun, but at the time they pre-tested it and they found that at the time, at least people found it very embarrassing and really didn't want people seeing them wear this Barry Manilow t-shirt. What he then did is after people had put on this t-shirt, he brought them into a room where there were a bunch of other participants, and then he led them back out of the room and he asked them, when you went into that room, how many people do you think noticed who was on your t-shirt? Then they gave a survey to all those people who were in the room and looked at how many people actually noticed what was on the other participants' t-shirt. And what they found when they repeated this a number of times is that people tended to overestimate, in this case, the number of people who are paying attention to this embarrassing t-shirt. And you might say, you know, you, you just told me that people pay more attention to me than, that, than I think. And now you're telling me they pay less attention to me in these certain circumstances than I think. So how do you reconcile these things? And actually, Erica Boothby, using a very similar kind of paradigm that Tom Gilovich, the Barry Manilow t-shirt person used, looked at this as well. And she tried to show when one effect would occur and when another of these effects would occur. And so what she did is she brought people into the lab and she assigned half of the people who came in to a condition where they were given an embarrassing t-shirt similar to Tom Gilovich's experiment with this Barry Manilow t-shirt. The other half were allowed to just wear their ordinary clothes. And then she had both groups of people interact with other people. And she did the same thing that Tom Gilovich did. And she asked, you know, how many people do you think noticed your clothing? your t-shirt that you were wearing. And when someone was given an embarrassing t-shirt that they were sort of acutely self-conscious about and embarrassed to be seen wearing, they thought more people had noticed that t-shirt than actually did. But when they just came in and they were allowed to wear their ordinary clothing, they underestimated how many people noticed what they were wearing. And so it's actually quite a happy sort of conclusion that you are sort of more salient in the world than you realize. People notice you, they mimic you, they pay attention to you, but not the things we hope that they're not paying attention to. So we overestimate how much people notice our flaws and we underestimate how much people think about us. It's one of those studies that I think makes me feel better after reading. I, like most people, I tend to worry that people focus on my flaws. But this suggests that most people, well, they won't even notice them. What's more, the actions we do take are often more appreciated than we think. So take compliments. Now, all of us give compliments, but most of us underestimate the impact these compliments have. 
Social psychologists Amit Kumar and Nicholas Epsley asked participants to write gratitude letters to notable people in their lives. These letters were packed with compliments about how the person positively impacted the sender's life. Before sending the letters, participants were asked to guess how good the recipients would feel when receiving these letters and how awkward they might feel when receiving the compliment. The researchers then contacted those who did receive the letters and asked how they actually felt. Turns out, the recipients felt a lot better about receiving the letters than the senders had estimated, and the recipients tended not to feel anywhere near as awkward as the senders had expected. Essentially, compliments, when they're meaningful, are far more impactful than we expect. And that's because we have more influence than we think. There is a negative side to this, though. These studies also show that we have a low opinion of ourselves and we underestimate our influence. It got me thinking about FOMO, fear of missing out, and how many of us believe our friends are more popular than us. We believe that our friends go to more parties. We believe that our friends have better social lives. I asked Vanessa if this is accurate or if it's simply another bias that distorts our perception. I think a lot of us have this experience of scrolling through social media and seeing all the things our friends are doing. You know, we see them posting that they're going out to parties and concerts and all these socially distanced barbecues of the day. And, you know, we might be scrolling through on our phone, sitting there on our couch at home and feeling hopelessly under social. One of the things that a researcher here at Cornell, a graduate student named Sebastian Derry has studied is whether we really are under social or whether this is also a bias where we tend to underestimate ourselves compared to other people. And what he finds is, in fact, the average person thinks they're less social than the average person which necessarily means that it must be a bias because logically that can't be true. And so what he's done is ask people, basically compared to other people taking this survey, compared to other people like you, do you think you have you know, more or less friends than the average person? Do you think that you go out more or less than the average person? Do you think you're more or less central to your social network than the average person of this comparison group? And on average, people think that they're below the bar, which, as I said, can't be true. And the reason that we do this is that when we're asked these questions, we tend to compare ourselves to the exemplars of sociability. We compare ourselves to those people who are constantly posting on social media. We compare ourselves to the most social friend that we have. And we think there's, you know, I'm so far behind that person. I must be below average in terms of sociability. But in fact, that's not true. And that tends to be an error in the way that we make these judgments. Now, this finding was consistent across 11 different studies with more than 3,000 participants with demographically diverse samples. Most people think they have fewer friends, go to fewer parties, and saw their extended family less than the average person. But obviously, this can't be true. It's an important reminder that basing your happiness on comparisons isn't helpful because we're hopeless at setting reliable benchmarks for those comparisons. So stop beating yourself up about turning down that party invitation. You probably see people more than enough. So that's our perception of our social life. But what about our perception of how others view us? 
Do we also underestimate how much other people like us? I asked Vanessa. So many of us leave conversations thinking, you know, did I talk too much or not enough? Did I ask enough questions? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have brought up that topic. And we kind of do this post-mortem as we leave a conversation where we focus on all the negatives, on all the slips that we might've made and all the things that we feel like we must've done wrong that would make that person really not like us in that conversation. When in fact, people are not as hard on us as we tend to be on ourselves. And we know this because of another behavioral phenomenon called the liking gap. And what the liking gap is, is basically this tendency to underestimate how much a conversation partner enjoyed our conversation and liked us coming out of that conversation. And the way researchers have tested this is they've had people interact in conversations that range from just really brief interactions to longer, you know, 10, 30 minute conversations. And then they've had those two people who just interacted go into separate rooms and fill out surveys. And they asked those people, how much do you think that other person you just had a conversation with enjoyed that conversation? How much do you think they liked you in that conversation? And then they ask, how much did you like the other person? And when they compare these judgments, what they find is that on average, people tend to underestimate how much the other person liked them and enjoyed the conversation. So there tend to be differences when we think about how much we enjoyed that conversation compared to how much we think the other person did. When we think about that other person, we're really just thinking about that warm, friendly conversation we had. So we're thinking of it in more of an emotional kind of broad sweep kind of way. And so we get this disconnect where we're judging ourselves based on these specific things that we said, but we're judging the other person based on warmth and friendliness. And we forget that that's also how they're judging us, not based on these tiny little things that we might have said wrong. Now, this study that Vanessa references, it actually puts a number on the likability gap. Turns out the ratings participants provided of how much they liked their conversation partner was 12.5% higher than the ratings they provided on how much they thought their conversation partner liked them. And this was consistent across every participant. In follow-up studies, the researchers allowed participants to chat for as long as 45 minutes to see whether the liking gap persisted for longer conversations. And the results show that it does. Whether you're chatting with someone just quickly for a couple of minutes or trying to have a full-on conversation with someone... The other person typically walks away from that conversation liking you more than you think. Now, one of the reasons we get along with people so well, and better than we expect we would, is due to something called audience tuning. Audience tuning basically means that we unconsciously tweak our behavior and our views to match the person we're talking with. We don't realize we're doing it, so we don't assume it makes someone like us more. And yet we all do do it. Here's Vanessa explaining audience tuning. This is the phenomenon called audience tuning, where we basically adjust what we're talking about slightly depending on who we're talking to. So for example, if I just ate dinner last night at a restaurant I know you really like, but I had a terrible experience, I probably won't come out and tell you about how awful the restaurant is. I'll probably tune my language a little bit to say, you know, it wasn't the greatest experience, but maybe if I went back, it would be better, right? If there's someone else I know who really didn't like that restaurant, 
I may be more bold in the way I talk about that restaurant and say, oh my gosh, it's terrible, isn't it? And then what happens is a secondary phenomenon called the saying is believing effect. So once we've said something in a particular way and it's been acknowledged by the other person, the other person sort of nods along and shows that what we've said they agree with, we tend to believe that thing a little bit more. So it strengthens this thing that we just said and our belief in that thing that we've just said. In a classic study illustrating this effect, participants summarized a speech about the pros and cons of legalizing marijuana to an individual whom they knew was either for or against legalization. The speech that they listened to to get the information was decidedly neutral. It didn't take a stand when debating legalizing marijuana. It didn't say if it was good or bad. Yet the participants who summarized this speech for someone who was anti-marijuana tweaked their summary to also make the speech sound like anti-marijuana. Those who summarized the speech for someone they knew was pro-marijuana legalization also made a stronger case for legalization, despite the fact that both sets of people listened to the same neutral speech on marijuana legalization in the first place. Now that is audience tuning at play. And there's another bias that comes into play here, which is the saying is believing bias. Those who describe the speech to someone who was pro-legalization actually took on those views after they shared that description. In fact, this effect persisted two weeks after the experiment was conducted. The experimenters brought participants back to the lab and asked them again what they thought about the topic. And the really interesting thing about that is it really highlights the power of being in the audience. When we think about influence, we often think about the speaker. The speaker is the one convincing the other person. The speaker is the one sort of changing someone's mind. But this really highlights this idea that the audience as well can change the speaker's mind. Because if we tune our language in a way that appeals to the person we're talking to, If we then believe that thing we said a little bit more, that means simply by listening to another person, we can shape their beliefs as they tune to us. Okay, we've covered quite a lot today. We've learned about how the perception of invisibility is wrong. We've learned how more people observe us than we think. But we've also heard how people don't focus on our flaws, like the Barry Manilow t-shirt we might be wearing. We've discovered that most people overestimate the social lives of others and how all of us underestimate the positivity that a compliment generates. We've also discussed how we tune our message to the folks we're talking to and how that tends to make them like us more than we would expect and how simply saying a statement will make us believe it. So what should you do with all this knowledge? Well, if you only take one thing away from this episode... Here's what Vanessa says it should be. I do think that we should worry less about getting things perfect. I think a lot of us worry that I'm not going to go up to this person. I'm not going to, you know, even say something nice that I'm thinking about them. I'm not going to engage in a conversation because it's going to be awkward or I'm not going to say the right thing or I might be bothering this person. And 
often those are misperceptions. For the most part, people aren't bothered by these kinds of conversations. They would love to hear nice things that you have to say. And I think in general, the idea is to engage more and not worry so much about being perfect when we do so, right? Kind of embracing this idea that it might be a little bit awkward, but it's going to be less awkward than we think. And in the end, everyone's going to walk away from that conversation feeling pretty warm and good and friendly. All right, that is all, unfortunately, that we have time for today. I want to give a huge thank you to Vanessa for coming on the show. I've left links to her Twitter account and to her book in the show notes. So go and check out those if you like it. I really enjoyed reading her book, You Have More Influence Than You Think, not just because it's a useful reminder for people who are interested in consumer psychology about the way we influence others, but also because it's a it's a good read, which helps you better understand maybe some of the anxiety you might have about the conversations you have with others and how people perceive you. Now, Vanessa will actually be back on Nudge in a few weeks in a show where she talks about how most people in a study agreed to vandalize a library book. It's a really good episode. It's worth listening to. Um, So make sure you don't miss it. And if you want to make sure you don't miss it, then hit subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast, but also go and sign up for the Nudge newsletter. Not only will you get an email when the new show goes live, but you'll also get a few extra nudge tips to improve your work. These tips are great. They're really actionable. They come every Monday and you can use them to improve your work. So the link to sign up for the nudge newsletter is in the show notes. So head there and sign up. Okay, that's all. Thank you again for listening to Nudge.